0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Thanks for checking out this feed of my favorite interviews and best guests over the last seven years. Whether it's your first time or you're already in a deep dive, make sure you head to billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Again, that is billsimmonsinterviews.theringer.com. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon Once COVID happened, I was just like, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God, the world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. belushi is here i can't believe this never happened before i've had a podcast for like 13 years i don't know where you've been
1: i have been hiding out man up on the farm in oregon there along the rogue river fly fishing and growing cannabis
0: <laughs> yeah you're you're up to stuff what tell me about your new show it's coming out uh in
1: a couple days right uh yeah it's called growing belushi on discovery it's gonna be at 10 o'clock wednesday night Uh, It is a reality show based on me and my farm and all these people that I have working for me and we're growing pot, legal, recreational, medical, marijuana. And my cousin and I, we literally fill up our Ford Explorer, filled with pot, drive the dispensaries, sell the pot, get cash. Go to the bank. I mean, it's it's uh, an unreal situation, but it's really fun and a very good piece.
0: How does a kid from Chicago end up in Oregon on a ninety acre farm growing pot?
1: Well, I have a buddy that lives down the river. Uh, he, uh, his kids and my kids are the same age, and he lived in L.A. also, and uh, we became very friendly. And he said, "Why don't you come up?" You know, to my Ranch, and so we used to go up there twice a year in the spring and the fall. And I dove into the river one time naked, <laughs> and I came out, and it was like a baptism. And it was like, you know, I got to look for a place around here. <laughs> so I found this old elks picnic grounds.
2: Yeah,
1: you know the elks, right? They, they just they, they sat at that picnic grounds for years, had these huge parties, and they all got old. They never enrolled anybody younger. And then they were just ready to sell it, and I I bought it.
0: Were you always a pot guy, or was it later in life? Because some people are late bloomers with marijuana.
1: Well, I was definitely uh, in high school. I mean, I was going to rock festivals, Stevens Point, Kickaboo Creek, uh, Wadena. I was, you know, a bit of a, you know, psychedelic guy, too, a bit of a hippie, you know. I was just right off of it. Like my brother, John, was at the Democratic Convention, right? He came home with tear gas burns. And the next day, there was a picture. There was a picture in the cover of the Sun-Times of two Jeeps with barbed wire on it, pushing, you know, young students, people, long hair, hippies, up against the fence. And he goes, let's see. You see, right? Right there yeah said, yeah he goes that's where i was and i went but john that's outside of the frame yeah yeah i was right there he was a bullshitter. that guy man <laughs> he wasn't in that goddamn shot <laughs> yeah that was me that was me i said i don't even see your hand john no 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 but i was right there i was right. There. so anyway you know i was during that generation and uh so i i smoked A little bit. I actually got busted for a couple joints here and there, and then you know, once I started really acting and college and and then a professional, I really didn't smoke much at all, if any. And then it just kind of came back around with with this legalization and and all the different kinds of strains they have. They they do different things. They fix different things. I mean, there's a strain I have that my buddy who's who's paralyzed from the chest down is a blues musician, a great singer, Johnny wheels. Yeah. And a harmonica player, you know, his legs spasm and he has no idea. So he likes uh, this chocolate hashberry have because he'll take a few hits in the morning and all those nerves relax. So there's, Hmm. there's, there's, there's veterans that I've met with extreme PTSD that certain strains allow them to talk to their family, their children, and sleep. So there's some beautiful medical things that happen with cannabis that, you know, just changed my life. Actually, that gentleman was the one. I mean, I I ran into him at a dispensary visit, and he looked at me as I was shaking hands. And I said, are you all right? And he said, you know, I've got, I was a veteran. I'm a veteran. I was a medic in Iraq for... For too long, and I saw I saw things happen to the human body that should no one should witness. And he said, I have triple PTSD, they tell me. And I won't take the pills. But I can't talk to my wife or children. I can't sleep. And your black diamond OG is the only thing that allows that to happen. Wow. And then he teared up and he hugged me. And I said, Hey man, I didn't make this stuff. And he said, No, but you're the steward. Yeah. And that was the point that it really changed for me personally. And it's become much more of a mission of uh, healing advocacy. Like I'm part of this last prisoners project, which is, uh, you know, we're trying to get out all the prisoners that have been for years and decades for minor possession, ruined their lives, collapse their families. It's legal. We're making money on it. And there's guys still in prison for, being caught with three pounds of weed you know so i advocate too i'm very medical but it's also joyful it's fun you know people feel good
0: have you followed how cannabis is playing out in professional sports with especially with football and basketball no, and... I,
1: I i think the last thing was was that they're not going to test for it anymore in national football right yeah
0: but it took a while to get there. And there were well, guys who were uh, doing you know, it every I was day.
1: Friends with, I was friends with Steve McMichael during the, you know, the Super Bowl years in Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, he was a tackle. They're taking a banging, man. His neck, you know, he had, he had pains. And for him, the cannabis helped him. Yeah. But then he would have to go off for 90 days before summer. In order to clean out for sixty days, thirty days, thirty days, and it really is a benefit to these athletes. And I'm really glad the NFL's starting to wake up,
0: yeah, and nBA I within four or five years, I bet it was be completely legal, but if for some reason, there was a real stigma with it. i I think. The NBA, especially, I think was really concerned about, they, you know, they had had a whole drug history dating back to the eighties and they're so concerned about it, but now it seems like it's swinging around.
1: Yeah. It's just different. It's, it's, I don't consider it a drug, you know? I mean, when my brother was, you know, when he, he passed, you know, when he died, he was doing drugs. Right. Uh. And marijuana was considered a drug, so when you're doing marijuana, you're, it's like marijuana—it's Schedule One. Marijuana is in the same schedule as cocaine and LSD. And and your own mindset was that, but it's medicine. What is research going on? That's incredible. What's going on in Israel? What they're doing, combining the CBD, CBDN, and G, and creating different medicines to do certain things. It's a long way off, but they are really moving in that direction. But I think that if my brother, John was a pothead, he'd be alive today. Right now. He was a middle linebacker.
0: Was a legendary he was, athlete. You could see it in the sketches.
1: Oh, five, yeah. five, five, seven, well, five, eight, he said, but we know it was five, seven middle linebacker. Okay. He had the most tackles in high school. He <laughs> had the record. I used to love going to the games and hearing Belushi on the tackle. Right. Belushi in on the tackle. I was so proud, you know, and he was the captain. And back then, it was like, what's the matter, Belushi? You got your bell rung? Get back in there. You know, they were getting concussions right and left, especially him. He was an aggressive bull. Yeah. There was one time in my kitchen. In the back, there was a little laundry room with the cement sinks, you know, those little sinks. And I went into the kitchen and turned down the little TV, you know. I wouldn't do it. So like, you got to do it. your TV, one of those things. And I went in there, and he was on the sink. And he shook, and he fell to the ground. And I thought, you know, come on, John, stop it. Just turn the TV down. And then I got scared, and I called my mom. We called the police. Pulled his tongue out. He went to a full seizure, and they went, they did spinal taps. They did X rays. They couldn't find anything. But now, I really believe he had CTE.
2: Oh, interesting. And I believe
1: that when he started doing, started smoking marijuana in college, uh, that it was medicine, and then it just went on to other things. But uh, that's why I think if if he was a pot he'd be alive today. And I think these athletes, uh, suffer so greatly for our yeah. entertainment. and they, anything we can give them then is safe. It's safe.
0: You know, um, I think about that era a lot from 77 to like 86, like basically Len bias was, I think the real turning point with drugs. But you think back, there's like a nine year stretch there, especially with cocaine. Where you have all these celebrities, all these comics, all these athletes in different sports. And for years and years, it's like, there's no awareness at all. Nobody understands really how bad this stuff is. I think until your brother was the first one. And then when Richard Pryor set himself on fire, those were the first two where people were like, wait, holy shit, what's going on here? Like, do you remember in the moment, like kind of when things (laughs) turned like that?
1: Hey man, I remember you know, seventy-nine, eighty being in Hollywood and just everybody and their brother and the production coordinator and the PAs and it was just everybody had a gram with them. It was just uh it was just the social thing. It was the cultural thing, you know. And I always said, you know, John was kind of led that. He reflected it. Yeah. He did it on the show with the donuts, you know, (laughs) white donut on his face and And when he died, uh, it woke a lot of people up. It changed things. I'll tell you one thing. No one's offered me cocaine since 1982. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it did change it. It did. It was a fun thing. And in the TV show, we actually go to Columbia. I did a crazy thing, man. I took James Orr, my cousin Chris, hired a camera crew, nine days in Columbia, didn't know what we were going to shoot, and just improvised for nine days. And that's two episodes in this series. And we did a whole thing on Pablo and how John and Pablo kind of became famous at the same time.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and he was international, John was international, he kind of looked alike. You know, and he was dealing cocaine, John was doing it, and what was this fascination I have with pablo and And it was like, you know he, the difference is that John never killed anybody. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he might have killed you with a laugh. He might have peed right. a little bit in your pants. but so anyway, we do a lot of exploration in the show about Pablo, Colombia. Colombia, it it looks very good in it because it's a very beautiful country and people are beautiful and they were terrorized by this man. And there's hundreds of thousands of people that have been affected by the 100,000 deaths of Pablo, 100,000 families that he collapsed.
2: Right.
1: And not only in Colombia, but all the way to my family. You know? So Anyway, there's a section in there about that in the show. It's a very good show because there's nobody getting high in it. It's not like a stoner show. Yeah. But it's about the farm. It's about growing. It's about growing. It's called growing Belushi. So I grow as a person, plants grow, the business grows. It's very cool. It's very cool.
0: So you're in, you're in Chicago in the seventies and the comedy scenes taken off there. And your brother ahead of you is, is in the legendary, um, comedy troupe, which name I'm blanking. What was the comedy? Second troupe? city? Yeah. Second city. And there's all this great stuff happening. And yet at the same time, the sports scene is an abomination. You have the, the bulls. It's pre Jordan. You have the bears. It's a whole decade before the 85 bears and you have just Walter Payton by himself. You have the Cubs are just in a wasteland and the White Sox are owned by Bill Vack. And the highlight is disco demolition night. Yeah. What, what was it like to be a Chicago sports fan in the seventies?
1: you're making me want to smoke a joint. Right now <laughs> you're upsetting me so much. You're giving me PTSD shakes. Cause now it's it was, super happy. Everybody's won since then. That was a terrible time. I stopped watching the bears. John would call me on Sunday to make me watch, and we'd watch together on the phone. A long pauses of just watching, you know. <laughs> it was terrible. It was a terrible time. It was a terrible, terrible time. We used to do a sketch. Yeah. Okay. Me and another guy are in the bleachers, right? And we're going, ah, you know, your mother, this, your mother, that, and you're screaming, you know, screaming, ah, you suck, you suck, you stink. You Know what are we going to do? Ah, this pitching stinks, blah 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 blah. Over the announcement goes now pitching for the Chicago Cubs, ticket number one zero four four. Yeah, pitching was so bad, they're pulling people. Oh my god, bad.
0: yeah, it's and then the 85 Bears happen, Jordan shows up. And everything leads to this Cubs. Were you a Cubs guy or a White Sox guy? Cubs. Okay. So then everything Cubs. leads to the Cubs, which they have to win on a game seven, the same week Trump gets elected, and ha- they have to blow it in the ninth inning, but then there has to be a fortuitous thunderstorm that resets the momentum, and then they win in extra innings. I still well, can't you believe know, it happened. If you,
1: turn- if you turned in that script to be produced, they would go, no. Nah. Not gonna, it's not they would
0: cross off the thunderstorm. They'd be like, this yeah. is too over yeah, the no, top. No. Just winning in the no. ninth inning. The thunderstorm's ridiculous. By the way,
1: they'd cross out because night shots rained. <laughs> right. No. Right. They wouldn't have believed it.
0: How did, your no, life How did your life change getting a World Series out of the
1: way? Well, I'll tell you when my life really changed is when I was in New Orleans and the Bears won.
0: Oh, wow. Against my I Patriots. Mean, that was
1: really the moment.
0: Wasn't close.
1: It was so beautiful, and it uh, it was an out-of-body, numbing kind of feeling. I remember standing outside with my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, this is it. This is it. Life is going to be different now. Well,
0: you had a big movie coming out that year, too. That That was was like your breakout movie.
1: That was the year I moved to Los Angeles. That was the year about last night opened, Salvador opened. That was the year my career took off when I became a multimillionaire, and and I still have been waiting for the Bears to win another Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. for another kind of reinvention.
0: <laughs> were Were you thinking of your brother when they won? Because he would have gone nuts, yeah. right? I could
1: call him on the phone. You know, like, it, hey, it was what cool. would have happened
0: to him in New Orleans on the day the uh, the night the Bears won the Super Bowl? What? Your your What's brother that? being in New Orleans? Oh, I
1: have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I can't even fathom
0: it. <laughs> the city would have closed down. I had
1: yeah. uh, I had Buckus Rob... fans. Oh, well, John was a middle linebacker, you know. Yeah. So you know, Buckus was our always to this day. I mean, there's Gail Sears and, and Sweetness, but Buckus was our our bloodline. You know, our he was the man.
0: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Once COVID happened, I was just like, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. I had uh, I had Rob Lowe on the podcast last month and we oh, were yeah, ju- I know
1: Robert Wood. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: we were going through I basically was like we're just staying in the 80s cuz I'm a child oh. of the 80s and I'm like we're just going through every 80s movie and you tell a story about each one. And then we got to About last night and we both agreed like first of all kind of paves the way for 40 years of rom-coms, right? It's this, it's a romantic comedy that has the relationship fall apart, get back together. It's got the crazy best friend for the guy and the crazy best friend for the girl. All of these recipes are in place that then when Harry Met Sally happens and then all of a sudden rom-coms are in. But about last night was like basically the first one, right?
1: Wow, I love hearing that. How about that? Yeah, uh, although there is one little scene in there for a little note there where Rob is wearing uh, a T-shirt and said, no lights in Ridley Field, because that was the year also. That, that was oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Put those night lights up. But yeah, that that's true. I never looked at it that way. But yeah, it was good because it was edgy. It was funny. It was real. Well,
0: it was based on you the know? famous play, too.
1: Uh Based on it, the play was "Sexual Diversity in Chicago" by David Mamet, and it was a sixty-minute play. Yeah, and Tim Kazurinsky and Denise Clu uh, wrote the screenplay, and that was an hour and fifty minutes. So they contributed quite a bit, but most of my stuff in that movie came right out of the play. My dialogue,
0: yeah, um, right yeah, out rem- of Mamet's mouth. I remember when you showed up on SNL because that was SNL was my show from as soon as it was I was on. Yeah, mine nine, too. too watch it you know and yeah that's how your brother you know because the, they used to show on nbc they used to show the greatest hit shows at like 10 o'clock and that was the first in like 78 79 and i'm like who are these guys and then just immediately all of the guys became idols um but then by the time you showed up and it was basically eddie's show yeah and you you kind of overlapped with that a little bit, right? You were on the same, was that the year that he taped all his stuff ahead of time and then was out halfway through? Yeah,
1: the first scene I did was uh, the Gumby scene uh, and it was a pre-tape. He he would pre-tape like 10 scenes in a day so he could do Trading Places. Right. Which I also did Trading Places. Right, right, right. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was Eddie and Joe Piscopo were really the kind of running it. They kind of kept that show alive during the Gene Dominion years. It almost died that show, right? And then the next year they left, and well, that um, was the
0: All Star cast the year after. Yeah, Marty Short, Chris. Gatt. That 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 season was excellent.
1: Well, you know, you got uh, to play the Dick, chess. Coach Emberstall was a very smart man. Yeah, and he went out and bought the Yankees. You know, he went out and bought some stars. It wasn't like guys coming right from the Midwest, second city. And, uh, you know, growing, he bought pros, Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, Marty was a pro at that point. Uh, Harry Shear had been around since the early days, you know, so he was smart. He did a good job, Dick.
0: Well, especially when Eddie left, cause you have that first 10 years, I think Chevy chase, then your brother and accurate together. And then Eddie were like the, the three times people just almost became too famous for the show. It was they, like their opportunities and the amount of money you could make in LA. It just could, you couldn't compare yeah. it after yeah, Eddie like playing was that
1: basketball in high school and jumping ship and going right. right. To right. the NBA. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And then, uh, John did four years. And I remember going, where you go, where you go, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? You can't quit. And he said, you know, Jimmy, it's like high school. Right. Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, year, and he got to go. Okay.
0: Well, that's what he did. I mean, the thing now with with him and I don't know if we'll ever see this again. Is somebody who has the number one movie, they're on the number one TV show, and they have the number one music album at the same time. There's no way that will happen again. I, I, I don't see. I don't see a scenario where that can happen. I think it's like impossible. Prince.
1: He didn't have a TV show, but he had No. A, it was like if me. Prince was movie. also on SNL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was a uh, it was a magical time. It was good to be the little brother. I was really having <laughs> a good time. It was beautiful.
0: But, well, and then Eddie had he's on SNL, but then he has the number one movie in the in the country twice. And that was also impressive. But I think you know, as the show evolved. Yeah,
1: but he had a comedy album too. Raw, I think that was true. Well. You know, it was, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, it was delirious. Yeah, mm. yeah. So maybe it's he delirious. came close to that too. Um, yeah. You didn't?
1: I thought you didn't
0: love being on the show, though, right? You kind of like some pieces and not like other pieces.
1: Oh, I wasn't mature enough for the pressure. It was, you know, yeah, it was wild pressure. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a guy who wears my emotions on his sleeve. I'm not really that smart. Um Dick Ebersaw just saved me. I was having a hard time. Uh you know, you do something live and that's it. I mean, where you are in that moment in that day is is where you're gonna be forever. And it, it's there's a lot of pressure. I I would say it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Really? Uh even even divorce <laughs> was easier than SNL. But then I got a little out of hand, I got to say. And Dick Ebersole fired me. And I basically begged for my job back. And he had a sit down with me. He straightened my ass out. And I had the best semester. I was there two years. You know, John, freshman, you know, sophomore year, second semester, I was, got it. And then we didn't do any more than that. I mean, some of those guys have done the show for eight years, 10 years, 15 right. years. It takes a while to learn the rhythm, the pace, the style. You know, it's it, it takes a while. And I was just getting it. But I, I, I owe a lot to Dick he was uh, He was tough with me, and, you know, he was great.
0: Well, you had, I mean, you had additional pressure because you you were, at that point, you're Belushi's little brother, and now you're on the show. And that's probably the only time well, a that situation that's happened.
1: Because it was something I lived with, you know. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it was funny because at Second City, Brian Doe Murray was on stage with my brother John. Yeah. And I used to go see the show all the time. And there was a little place called Willoughby's in Piper's Alley, but they used to go and have beers afterwards. And there's Billy Murray. And Billy was in a touring company. They only had one touring company back then. It was small. And I looked at Billy. And I was like, how do you do it, man? How, how can you How can you be here when your older brother is on the resident stage? And he goes, just do it. And he gave me the freedom. Yeah permission and so i went to the second city and then john even said why would you want to do saturday night live we captured the hearts of america no one's going to be able to capture the hearts of america i said john because you guys created a linkage from second city the stage to television it's every every improvisational actor wants to be in that show i said i know you're my brother but i'm an actor so to me it didn't bother me yeah um, because I've been compared and, and I'm cool with it. You know, did you,
0: do you remember watching the first episode in 1975 yes. and like, did you know right away this was going to change comedy?
1: No, I didn't know. Got a sense of it pretty quickly when, you know, on campus, uh, everything shut down at 10:30 at night. In Illinois, and uh we were there were houses filled with 14, 15 people around the TV watching the show. Right. It was event.
0: There's been a couple of really good SNL books, and it's really crazy how famous that show was when you think about like now, like right, like 30 million people on a Saturday night. You think like now that's basically the Super Bowl? Yeah. And that's <laughs> it. For, for a TV audience. Cause it's so splintered. We have hundreds of channels. We have yeah. streaming, we have the internet, but back then it was like, even that first year they, those, they became overnight superstars and nobody knew who the fuck they were a week before the show went on the air. You know, I, I don't think there's ever been anything like that. Yeah.
1: Well, they were right there, man. They, they were leading the generation, the baby boomer generation. They were leading the resentment and the angst that that generation had from the sixties. I mean, you know, John was always leading that because when he did Second City it was the first time they actually did social comedy, imposed right. to political comedy. You know, they were imitating, he was imitating hippies and fathers of hippies, and Mayor Daley. And then he did Lemmings, which was uh, a great satire on Woodstock, their yep. generation. And then let me, then the Lampoon show and then Lampoon Radio Hour, then Saturday Night Live. I mean, he was always mirroring, mirroring what was going on in him and that generation. And so when people watched it, it was like, plus they had the skill about a deliberate joke.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you think now you think like that whole comedy generation comes out of all the shit that happened in the 60s in the yeah. Vietnam War, right? And this yes. this really painful time for America. And I wonder, in 2020, I wonder if this next decade that's coming, will something similar happen with comedy coming out, out of all the pain we're in now?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. Absolutely. How can you not comment on what we're feeling right now? What's going on in the world? What's showing up around us? That's where, you know, that's where the good comedy comes from. I mean, there's great comedy that's silly and goofy and fun, too. But, the, you know, the edge stuff. Um, down.
0: Can I tell you what I think your your biggest mistake in your career was?
1: <laughs> I've made so many now. Let me look at my list here. Now, I have all of them. All <laughs> of my mistakes right here. Let's see.
0: I Here it is. First marriage, no. Second marriage, no.
1: No, no you're going like no. to like this.
0: You're going to like this. I think the principal, I think you could have done like five. I think the principle five could have happened. I just think the principal could have been your actions. I don't know what, I don't know why you gave that one up.
1: I you didn't give done, it up. They didn't, you, you could have done 15 years of those. I know I could have ran that. I could have ran canine, I could have.
0: <laughs> that could have been your death wish. You could have <laughs> been the Bronson of the principal. Just, you just keep taking over new high schools. And
1: so. <laughs> I'm the here people, to clean up this high
0: school. For the people listening, uh, Mr. Belushi made a movie called the principal in 1987, which is a classic. And it's like, you're a principal. This school is out of control. It's being run by bad people, drug dealers. And you just go to war with them. Yeah. And, and there's with crazy. Bat. Yeah. And you have a baseball bat. And it was like, this is a great idea. Make
1: more of these. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to see it now because now I'm going to do I'd go into straight in a remote high school. There's nobody there. <laughs> I got to do it all through the internet.
0: Yeah. The pandemic. You're yeah. just on zoom threatening people. <laughs> Stay in school. Cause <laughs> I, I think they made another one, but I think Tom Berenger was the principal. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Fuck yes. that guy. He, it should have been you. No, they should have done like six. Actor,
1: man. Did you see him in platoon? No,
0: he's a great actor, but that you were the yeah. principal. Nobody else could be he the principal. He was the
1: substitute. Oh, was he the substitute? I think it was substitute. No, I think there you're was. right.
0: But they basically ripped off the principal.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it was Blackboard Jungle. I mean, you know, we all rip off everything.
0: You know? When did you realize, Um, I'll just do these TV series, these sitcoms, and this is a great life, and I have a steady day every day, and... Cause you were, you were in on that pretty early in the nineties. You figured it out.
1: No, the sitcom was 2001,
0: 2001, whatever.
1: Well, yeah. We opened, uh, on October 5th, right after nine eleven. it was, a, it was a time that people wanted family again and a family yeah. sitcom kind of was a rebirth. And, um, that was a great gig, man. That was eight years of. Thirty minutes from my house, seeing my kids be raised and eating dinner with them, and taking them to school, and bringing them to the set. Larry Joe Campbell and Kimberly Williams and Courtney—they were like brothers and sisters. It was love. It was fun.
0: Everybody who's ever had a sitcom job makes it seem like it's like the greatest thing ever.
1: It is. It's the greatest gig ever. Because
0: really you, yeah. uh, you get to have a normal life.
1: Oh, yeah, you get to have a normal life. You're gonna have a well, lot. I mean. I remember talking to John Goodman a long time ago. He goes, Jim, we got it down to a three day week. <laughs> right. And then I, I was like, wow. Cause I worked my ass off for five days to get that script in order and ready and work out new gags. But after about three years, we could have done, a, we actually did do a three day week, but Larry Joe Campbell and I, we liked the work, so we'd come in on Monday and Tuesday anyway and work on gags, physical gags, and help with the writers. And, but yeah. And the last season, I think Courtney came in on Friday. Wow. Before taping.
0: That's the life. When did yeah, when did I you mean, and Ackroyd become close?
1: You know, after John died, I mean, I've always known Danny, but after John died, uh, Danny and John Candy. Uh, they were really the only guys that came up to me and looked me deep into my heart and said, How are you, Jim?
2: Yeah.
1: Are you all right? You need anything?
2: Yeah.
1: And I just, they put me to tears and they just kind of put their arm around me. I mean, my first show on Saturday Night Live, you know, with the pressure of John and all that. The host was John Candy. Oh, and he yeah. came. He came into the set. And then, I mean, he came to the, the offices and he said, you know, we said hi and all that. You know, he's like, I'm on a diet, Jimmy. I'm on a diet. You know, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle change. <laughs> <laughs> he would order fettuccine for lunch. Like, is that part of the lifestyle? You can always have a little complex carbs, Jim. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I said, well, what, you know, he said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, John, you're the host. It's more about what you want to do. You know, we want to know what you want to do, what characters you want to do. He goes, no, this is your first show, Jimmy. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'd like to do, you know, uh, you know, all these different characters that he does. And we we sat in a room for two days with two other writers and we wrote, I was in six pieces. Wow! With Johnny, this here he was across from me, and the most frightening night. And there was my brother Johnny Candy, you know. And Danny's the same way. He was like, "I'm, I'm talking about 25 years ago." Danny said, "You ought to do the Blues Brothers? Come on, do the Blues Brothers with me, Jimmy." I As I can't, Danny. Come on, I was Johns. Uh no, y'all, know, no, y'all. No, you don't play Jake Blues. You play uh, 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 Brother Zirashida, Brother Z Blues. Yes, you'll be the lost brother uh, we, that we found in the deep mountains of Albania. And you don't speak, you're mute, but you can sing, dance like nobody's business. I said, Danny, I can't do it. it doesn't it feel weird for me to take over? And he said, No. He said, It's like a law firm. Yeah. Your partner goes down the son takes over the brother takes over. He goes, this is a character. These characters are created to live forever. And I said, if you don't feel weird about it, Danny, then I don't. And that was the start. And he just cracked open my chest, pulled my heart out with that music. Yeah. And that joy. And I've had that, it's, we're like brothers now. It's a brotherhood, you know, it's just been a beautiful experience. And in this TV show, we do the blues brothers. We, there's a whole storyline with Danny and Judy. Pretty cool.
0: When, when they were touring and stuff in the late seventies, did you go to any of those?
1: I went to the universal amphitheater one.
0: Yeah. They were playing like big venues. Right. And with, with like the best blues people in the world,
1: Steve Martin, it was Steve Martin's show. And he asked for them. Yeah. But he really gave them the break. Danny always gives them credit.
0: Well, that's uh, considered the greatest show in SNL history. The Blues Brothers and then the Steve Martin and the Kings. I think the King Tut sketch was in that. Like, I think yeah. that's considered the Apex. Well, the
1: Universal Ampeter show was Blues Brothers Open and Steve Martin. Right. And I, I mean, everybody in Hollywood was there. They had three nights there. I was sitting next to Joe Cocker. Okay. Who, I mean, that's who, Belushi, I'm
0: who your brother used to do the famous impression
1: of. Right. So when they came out and they did the first two songs, Joe Cocker turned to me and said, oh. oh, so they're playing it for real. <laughs> because, and I talked to Stephen Stills about it. I said, you know, that's what he said, don't you understand your brother, Saturday Night Live, Lemmings, they all made fun of us. And we we're always like, hey, man, don't, don't cock block us making a living. Believe us alone. We're just doing our music, you know? Yeah. So when they saw the song choices, the musicians and the commitment, they were like, oh, so you get it. And then they, they embraced them into the musical world.
0: I always thought that was one of the smart things with them where they, they decided to do it, which is at that point, what comedian is trying to cross over to music? And then your brother, by sheer force of will, just convinces some of the best blues musicians in the world to well, I, be in wanna, the band.
1: I, I want I <laughs> want <clears throat> you're right about sure will uh, will, man, because I went with him while he he was trying to get uh Fagan from um who was a major dude. Man, we went to his studio. You know, it was me, it was John, it was Judy, Danny, was like Paul Shaper, And we went to a studio that was in his uh, building, you know, his townhouse up on the east side, west side. And I, I watched John pull his little gypsy act, you know. And, ah! <laughs> Charming and working it, you know, working it like he was trying to get in. You know. And, you know, the guy a- ended up turning it down. But Paul Schaefer sent him off. Go get Duck Dunn. Go get Steve Cropper. If anybody can do it, John, it's you. John would just...
0: Go and do it. Well, that was one of the, one of the best... I mean, I've read all the SNL books because I love... I'm the, it's my generation. Um, where they had Gilda Radner had her Broadway show at the same time as they are going on tour. And Paul Schaefer is also in the Gilda thing. And then it becomes a tug of war who gets Paul Schaefer, and he ends up doing the Gilda thing. <laughs> and John is so mad, he's like, "He's out of the movie!" He flips yeah. out, turns into this big territory thing with him and Lorne Michaels. It was like he, a he real thing. He
1: was out of the movie. It was, March. yeah.
0: And it and actually, you watch the movie now, and and he, Paul Schaefer, he would have been better. As I, don't, I forget who they picked, but it would have been fun to have early Paul Murphy, Schaefer, Murphy Dunn. Yeah, early Paul Schaefer in that movie would have been fun, but. In that movie, he's just convincing all these different guys to be in the band. It's like real life basically. But yeah, it
1: was basically based on a real life. Yeah. yeah. What is
0: what is the um the Blues Brothers from a business thing? cause that, that turned into a whole bunch of different things, right? Like
1: well, it's uh it's 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 one of the major through lines of the series, uh Growing Belushi. It's about me and Danny and Judy and me proving to them that I deserve the Blues Brothers IP Mm. to brand cannabis. Because to me, you know, uh, what the Blues Brothers symbolizes is, you know, great music, mischievousness, and a mission from God. Right. And I think cannabis has all three of that. You know, the fun, the joy around it, the music. I mean, Live Nation, Michael Rapino. Michael Rapino is one of the great men in my life and Danny's. Michael Rapino, on an eight minute pitch, shook my hand and gave us a couple million dollars to shoot this show. So he's wow. just, he's a beautiful man. But, you know, the mission from God is also the medicine and the healing power. So it, the brand itself sits on cannabis very well. So that's one of the business things.
0: That we're doing well it's interesting 40th anniversary of that movie in june which i couldn't believe because
1: well we were going to do a whole thing in chicago and you know
0: oh yeah what were you going to do Good. like a big outdoor concert or something
1: we were going to we we're going to do the blues fest we we're going to do the house of blues we were going to drive the car up to the music box theater and show the screening me and danny we we're going to do a little motorcycle ride with the cops we were going to Celebrate! Celebrate forty years of a brand of music of of joy. That's nothing but joy, you know. I mean, it's the House of Blues. Help ever, hurt never.
0: Here's my last question. Yes, you realize that you were Captain Kangaroo in the Jackie Rogers Jr. Jackpot Wad sketch, which is the greatest sketch in the history of the show. Ah! and. And you ruined Captain Kangaroo. He was never the same. I don't know how. I don't know how he came back from that. For, <laughs> and it's it makes me so
2: Jackie mad. <laughs>
0: <is $100>, <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kangaroo really needs the money. It's it was just an evisceration. The money, you need the money. Yeah. What no, no. He punches? introduces the axe. It was great. <laughs> <It's>, it was,
1: <laughs> Mary Gross was so perfectly dumb in that scene.
0: That's the but to me, that's the ultimate Cash. sketch. Oh, everybody, he that's Christopher Billy. Guest played the chocolate babies guy. Yeah, oh, it's, God, it's legendary.
1: It's the best so good one on that show.
0: You never ran into Captain Kangaroo after that, did you? No, Bob Gershon. No, I think his name was <laughs> he couldn't have been happy.
1: <laughs> what? Man, I didn't make fun of him. I, you
0: know. It was good, it was <laughs> solid. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, it was great talking to you. Good luck with the show. So it's Wednesday. Oh,
1: thank you, man. Thanks for your support.
0: Wednesday's 10 p.m.
1: 10 p.m. Wednesday, August 19th. Great. Good luck. It'll be great. Growing Belushi. It's funny. It's like Blues Brothers. It's got music. It's mischievous. And it's got a mission from God. It's got them all three. And we're going to have a ball.
0: Well, if this works, I think the principle six could happen. They could pave the way.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, and we will. We'll do it in a remote educational.
0: <laughs> it's a pandemic. They can only hire retired principals, but he's still going to lay down the law in an empty oh, school. There'll
1: be scenes where your face will come on just like this. <laughs> Rick, Rick, what are you doing in school right now?
0: <laughs> uh, Thank you. This was great. Appreciate it. Uh,
1: Thank you, man. It was a nice journey with you uh, down all those paths. It was uh, (laughs) joyful. Thank you. All right. Thanks.
0: This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like